Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Together BHA. My name is Josh and we will be here as usual taking a look at the uh, the game that has been uh, and the Palace recap, um, international break recap and all of the stuff in between. Um, I have taken a week off so thanks for bearing with me those who did. Uh, just needed a break from the old social media for a week and... Um, Due to that, I, I didn't really have anything to, to add to the podcast world last weekend. Um, by all means, if any of you feel the same way as I did, that you needed a break for a week, feel free to do so. Uh, it's quite refreshing. Um, and for others, um, you know, the the world of football is a one full of opinions. Um, there's been a lot of them thrown around in the last couple of weeks with pay-per-view and uh, Premier League big picture nonsense and all of that stuff as well. Um, but try not to, uh, you know, resort to death threats or death wishes or anything mean like that because... When you start getting them in your inbox from people like I did last week, I can't even remember what it was about. That's how stupid it was. I can't even remember what it came from. Um, but it gets tiresome. Uh, it's not great. And, um, you know, it's just a bit too much sometimes. Um, the The worst part is, is these people won't even use their official accounts. They're all just like, you know, like burner accounts that they know are going to get banned because I just block and report them and they get banned so it's super annoying um but for those of you out there that you know have any experience with this nonsense anything like that uh please feel free to stop um you know just take a break if you need to um it's not worth the the stress if it's something that you're not uh enjoying so <clears throat> there's my minute and a half monologue on valuing yourself a little bit more than the people throwing abuse at you um so taking a look at the news stories of the week uh, before we get on to the big palace recap um we have some brighton some premier league news one of each some of each um so let's cover albion first not in chronological order of course um but we do have some uh, some news to cover so uh, first of all uh pay-per-view uh, Albion and the rest of the Premier League have decided uh, that in order to continue to keep the lights on, apparently, um, you will have to pay £15 per game to watch the Albion play going forwards uh, if they are not one of the designated um, you know, like games on the TV. So if they're not the, the usual kind of rundown, so, you know, if you're, if you're not, a 12.30 kickoff or a 7.30 kickoff or whatever, 7.45, um, that you're used to getting that's usually aired on Sky or whatever, uh, you now have to pay £15 to do so. Um, so £15 to watch a game like West Bromwich Albion versus Brighton on a Monday afternoon. Um, ultimately, uh, Barber did a Q&A, which I thought was very good indeed, actually. Um, I was on the Zoom call. Not that I was supposed to be because it wasn't a season ticket I'm not a season ticket holder, but I was on there anyway. Um, I thought Barber did very well with his uh, Q&A that he did uh, around that and other issues. Um, the thing I find most alarming is that every club in the in the, in the the league voted for this, uh, except Leicester. Um, while I understand why they would vote for it, because they need the money, um, what I don't understand is the fact that they all just nodded along and agreed to vote for this 
Um, and we have it on record from Barber that they don't even know how much money they're going to get from these pay-per-view sales. So if we were to sell that West Bromwich Albion game for 15 quid and, you know, the Premier League and whoever turn around and say, well, you get 30p as profit. What's the point? It seems to me like this is a this is a way of the Premier League uh, and the the broadcasters trying to rope in some more money if they can possibly get it due to the the fans not being at stadiums and TV deals and all that stuff. So to me, this pay per view doesn't even seem like it's one of those ones where you can feel better about it because it's going to the club. I don't think this is going to the club. Barber has already said he has no idea how much is going to the club. Um, which is highly unusual for a team like us, right? We tend to know, um, or Barber, especially in Bloom, seem to be very uh, up-to-date and in touch with details, details, details. So for him to turn around and say, we have no idea how much money we're going to be making, um, that's an absolute shocker. So, you know, I think it's a big problem. Um, I don't think many people will pay it. Uh, But, you know... If that's what they're doing and they think that might bring in some money, then fair enough. Um, and on the back of that, uh, Paul Barber has urged fans a couple of days ago to write to their local MP um, in order to get fans back in stadiums. Um, however you feel about it is up to you, of course. It's not a black and white issue. Uh, the coronavirus is still a very real thing. Uh, cases pretty much around the world are starting to go back up as winter starts to settle in uh, and the you know the cold weather starts to uh, to tighten its grip around the sort of northern hemisphere um, we are seeing a lot of Europe and the UK and the US not that the US ever really got the, the virus count down but they seem to be going up even more um, and it's one of those cases of whether you think it should or not, it's up to you. Um, but when you're allowed 400 people in the, the Palladium in London for a gig and you're not allowed to have uh, the same thing in a football stadium, I think the Albion fans and every other fan has every right to turn around to the government and ask for accountability. Um, you know, love them or hate them, we deserve that accountability and it seems that football in general is not getting it. So... I would urge you all to write to your MPs if you feel that uh, fans should be back in stadiums. I believe that you should absolutely be sending those messages in um, as much as you possibly can be and getting that correspondence back. If it's anything like my local politician was, you'll never hear anything ever because he's an utter tool. Um, But all I can say is uh, nothing will get done if everybody just sits by idly, so... Uh, I would I would fully recommend those of you who believe that this should be an initiative brought in um, to write out sign sign petitions, getting everything you can do. Um, I would I would fully suggest getting on board with that maneuver. Um, and then finally, uh, in terms of Albion news, we have made a striker signing. We have made a one year deal signing for free agent Danny Welbeck, uh, former Man United Arsenal Watford forward. He agreed a one-year deal with the Albion today, actually, as we were getting ready for the game. It was the announcement. Um, he's only 29. That's the wildest thing for me. Like He's still only 29, um, but it feels like he's been around forever. And for me, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, you know, last season at Watford, 
Uh, he didn't have a terrible year, um, but he also just didn't do a great deal. Um, but then Watford also didn't do a great deal. So it's tough to know how much of it was him being poor and how much of it was them being just that bad. Um, he can score goals. He has done in the past. We've seen that in the past. Um, you know, he's generally good for a goal every three odd games. Um, that's the kind of record he's bringing in. Uh, you know, when he was actually kind of on form, um, you know, he was currently he's got 46 goals in 232 games. So that's nowhere near as good as the one in three. Um, but he also is a playmaker, can play out wide a little bit in that kind of left forward role, right forward role. Um, and would be an injection of pace and a little bit of size as well. Um, but my question more than anything is, is, is he going to be fit? Um, because this is a, this is a player that struggled for fitness in the past. Um, he has not exactly been someone who has, you know, wowed the world with his, with his abilities at 29 years old. He started off great and has done next to nothing for years now. Um, he's a sick note. He, he seems like a total punt from us. Uh, it does not seem like the classic Albion due diligence. Um, it seems like a Dan Ashworth maneuver. If this guy will do something good for you, get him in. Um, of those 18 games he played for Watford last year, only eight of them were starts. Ten were sub cameo appearances. Um, he's not exactly known for playing a lot of games. Um, let me see. I'm going through his list here. The last time he made more than 20 appearances in a season was in 2011-2012. Uh, in the most recent Premier League seasons, uh, he was at Watford and made eight starts. The week, the year before, he was at Arsenal and made one start. Uh, the seasons before that, of course, were all at Arsenal. Um, 12 starts, 8 starts, 7 starts, 0 starts, 18 starts, 4, 15... He is not, he's a backup. And I just hope he's not a really, really expensive one. Um, because to not even have Zakiri in the squad today tells me that he is not going to be anywhere near the first team this year. So if that's the case, then we're going to need somebody like Danny Welbeck, Welbeck to, to come on and change a game. Um, or start a couple of games when those fixture congestions get wild, you know, around Christmas and New Year. So our physio team are going to have to be working overtime to keep him fit and make sure everything is working well. But at the same time, you know, like for the last four minutes of ragging on him, I have done. There is a player in there that, that played for Arsenal or Manchester United for a reason. Um, if we can get him to part of that level again, uh, especially in terms of fitness and, and peak conditioning, um, it could end up being a very, very astute signing. And I think that's probably what Watford thought when they brought him in. If you can bring in uh, a player like Danny Welbeck and get him back to, you know, that kind of fitness level that you hope to see from him, um, he could be a game changer. Uh, Watford were not able to do that. Now, do I think that we are better equipped to do it? Yes, I do. Um, so it's going to be a case of watch and wait for Danny Welbeck. Uh, he almost definitely isn't even close to match fit either. Uh, so, you know, he may not even be on the bench for a game or two um, because he has a lot of work to do to get match fit. He's been a free agent for a long time. Uh, so Watford, you know, he wasn't even in their, their, their preseason training. So who knows how far before he is, how far away 
he is from starting football games or even coming on from the bench. Um, we'll find out, but hopefully uh, he will be able to push on and make the difference that we need to see this year because we are still light up top um, and that's something that we needed to get focused on. So whether I think it's a good sign or not doesn't matter in a way. Um, we just need to see those goals start being put in the back of the net. And if we have one more man who thinks he can do it, then fair enough, let's get him on. Um, so the big Premier League story has been rumoured, created, legitimised, proposed, and thrown out in the time between this podcast and the last one. Premier League project big picture. This shady-ass, smoke-filled room bullshit deal made by rumoured to be Manchester United, Liverpool, and definitely by Rick Parry, head of the EFL, uh, was a decision um, in order to basically take over the Premier League. It's, it was essentially just like a, a, a coup manoeuvre that you would expect to see um, from some you know, small country in Central America, not freaking the Premier League. Um, it was as two-dimensional as you can ever get. Uh, this was a blatant power grab. Um, the details were just an entire joke, essentially. Um, let me find the, uh, the actual details so we can go over them uh, just and laugh, really. Um, Barber on the Q&A was very good. He was very much uh, against it. Um, it was a joke. Uh, when you all know it was a joke. Um, and I think it, it was a good decision uh, to just say absolutely not. So it was unanimously uh, voted out because it was just an absolute joke um, and we can all move on. Um, essentially, I can't find a stupid thing now to say exactly what was in it, but I'll give you a TLDR. Uh, essentially, the top six clubs were going to get full control of the league. Um, that is Manchester United, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool. Um, they were also going to give some kind of like special status uh, to three other Premier League clubs who I believe were Southampton, uh Southampton, West Ham, and Everton. Uh, through some arbitrary idea of they've been in the Premier League longest or some nonsense like that. Uh, not not wondering, not worrying about the fact that you know Leicester won a Premier League title in the last five years. Uh, they were also going to have um, a take away the fourteen club majority vote maneuver uh, and provide a six club majority vote which essentially means that it doesn't matter how many special gold stars you give Everton and Southampton and West Ham um, it would actually be uh, just the top six running things from the word go uh, their their kind of carrot next to their stick was the idea that they would be presenting a shit ton of briefcases and money to the EFL to help them out um, with the promise of, of course you'll get more soon, um, which sounds an awful lot like the stimulus negotiations going on in the US, uh, because just like the stimulus negotiations, I think there was absolutely no intention of ever paying us more than one lump sum. Um, I think within the next 12 months, if we'd have been stupid enough to vote this through, um, you would have seen the Premier League Big Six decide that that was actually a one-time 
time payment and the EFL would be getting no further payments until they accepted some kind of uh, total overhaul into a pure and simple B-team league uh, and essentially just killing as many clubs as they could in the process. Um, and it was it was just a coup. It was an intentional coup. Um, it got voted away and we shall see where that takes us. But uh, it was an absolute disgrace. Um, I'm glad that everybody vocalized how disgusted they were with it um, because it was just a total joke. Um, so next up, uh, I have a guest on the show for our match review. Uh, his name is Ingram. Uh, never met a gentleman called Ingram before, um, but this is our Zoom call uh, recapping the Palace game. So enjoy. Um, and, you know, we will see you all next week for episode 98, a review of the West Bromwich Albion game, um, which is very important, right? We need to bloody win it. So uh, have fun, enjoy the rest of the pod, and we'll see you next week. All I'm right, gonna... so let's get started. Yes. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Ingram. Um, yep. you are currently based in LA, but you're that certainly not from there based on the accent. Um, so I guess, do you want to give us, uh, some background on you, your life and the Albion before we uh, sure. get into this palace recap? Yeah. No, for, for sure. Right. So it's great to be on. I, I really enjoy listening to the, to the podcast as I do my morning walks, um, you know, all around, um, Los Angeles. Um, but as you can probably gather, as you've correctly picked up, I'm not from California. I often joke that I'm from Alabama, actually. It normally gets a, a little <laughs> bit of a, of a giggle, right, from, from the Americans. But no, I've been here for 20, what are we, 2020? So 25, 26 years now, um, you know, because in 1994, my wife, um, who is also British, um, was working for um, a major UK healthcare company, Smith & Nephew, which is probably familiar to, to you and, and most of the listeners. Um, and she got an opportunity to come out to California uh, for a two-year secondment um, where she was going to be heading up a joint venture between a small local Californian biotech and Smith and & Nephew. And it was a two-year assignment. Uh, and that was 24, 25 years ago. So, yeah, I was going to um, say that went well. <laughs> yeah, it, it went well. It's like, whoa, 25 years. So here we are, 25 years in, um, and that's what brought us out here. We obviously decided to stay, um, and here we are. And so, you know, I've spent most of, uh, most of, no, almost half of my life now in, in California, although, you know, one's spirit is still rooted very, very firmly, um, you know, back in the UK. And I think that was one of the big differences between um, certainly now where you and I have just been talking about, um, you know, back to back, wall to wall coverage of every single game that we've been watching this morning and yesterday and tomorrow. Um, whereas when, when I first came over here, um, you, you were lucky if you could get the results on the corner of page six in the local newspaper. That was the extent of it. And then, of course, it, it's grown from there with the internet and, and access. And, and now, of course, today, it's, it's, it's like a, a football fan's dream. And you can be as connected to your, um, you know, your UK team, in, in our case, the Albion, uh, as you've ever been. And that's, that, that makes it a lot easier because if there was one thing that I missed 
um, certainly in the early years, um, it was access to something that had been very important to me growing up. Uh, and that's obviously Brighton and Hove Albion. Yeah, I mean, especially with, uh, with you know, how things went down after you left. Um, yeah. It, you kind of left just before the utter shit show <laughs> that, oh. that took place. Um, so, I mean, I know that when we weren't able to go to games at that age, I mean, I was like seven, but like I know my dad relied on like the CFAX, the Teletext yeah. to, to know what the results were back then, like let alone how it must be across the world where they didn't even know there was a fourth division in England. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I'll tell you a funny story, right? Because um, you're right in, um, you know, basically saying that, yes, I, I, I left just before, I mean, it was already on the, it, it was already on the, the slide, um, right. but it got really bad, obviously, 94, 95, 96. And I can remember because, again, um, you know, there was no, you know, meaningful access to anything. But for the Hereford game, um, you know, the 1-1 draw at Hereford, um, for some reason, they actually had that as the live second half commentary on BBC Radio 5. And so I was on the phone to my father um, in England, right, who had his earpiece to the radio, right, so that I could hear it for 45 minutes of the second half. Um, I have no idea how much that cost him. I, <laughs> I was about that, to ask. <laughs> that it was expensive. He's probably, I mean, he's not a live nut right now, but, you know, I suspect that, you know, he was probably paying for it for about 10 years after that because, you know, <laughs> we're not talking about two cents a minute voice over IP connections right now. You know, you're talking about, I don't know, $5 a minute phone calls, but it was worth it. You know, I just had to do it. Maybe I paid him, maybe I didn't. I can't remember. But that was the extent of how we were able to, to listen, even if we had access, right? It was clearly very, very tough. But yeah, that was, um, but yeah, that, that was obviously challenging coming over here, um, you know, at, at times where I would have just loved to have been involved with, you know, many of my friends who were involved with, um, you know, all those campaigns, A, to save the Albion then to bring them back to Brighton and then obviously um, for, for, to, to get them into the Amex. Yeah, for sure. Um, when was the last game you were able to go to? Do you get to go home very often or is yes. it? I'm actually a season ticket holder, right? Believe it or not, right? <laughs> obviously not able to go every week. So I give it away to friends or, or whoever wants it. So I normally go over maybe six or seven times a year. The last game that I saw, I was actually talking to, to my son about this yesterday. The last goal that we saw live was um, Ali Razor's bicycle kick against Chelsea. So, oh, you know, wow. We often go over for the holidays, um, which means that, you know, you could normally see a lot of football within a relatively short space of time. So that was yeah. the last game that we saw live. It was the, uh, the one-all draw against Chelsea on New Year's Day. Oof, that's a good one to have seen, though. I think that was, I think that was our first point from them in a good many years, yeah. wasn't it? I think you're absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might have been. Uh, am I right in saying that I don't think that we've ever beaten Chelsea in the league? Correct. Yeah. I, yeah. So it's quite likely that that point would have been, you know, the only one that we'd ever got against them. Yeah, that's insane. Um, yeah. So I guess. Let's move on to uh, to the game itself oh. today. 9 a.m. kickoff for me here on the East Coast, which means it would have been a bright and early Sunday morning for yourself. Yeah. Yep. Um, looking at the lineups, starting off with the lineups, I guess. Yeah. Um, how did you feel looking at that? Dan Burning. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the logic was for making the change, right? Um, beyond wanting to see how Ben White fared in, in, you know, in front of the back four, which I thought worked quite well. Um, you know, I thought, quite frankly, the defence was poor um, in the last game against Everton. So perhaps he wanted to shake it up a little bit. Um, you know, Dan Byrne, generally speaking, has never, you know, has never let the side down. Uh, and I think it was just a, an opportunity for him to bring, you know, Byrne into the team um, and also to put, um, you know, Ben White in front of the back four. Um, you know, interesting selection because, you know, clearly, you know, Palace, you know, Palace don't surprise you in terms of how they set up. You know, they, you, you know that they're going to be very compact. You know that they're going to have, you know, banks of, of defenders and then midfield players that are playing fairly deep and try and hit you on the counter with, with Zaha and Townsend. Um, you know, and generally speaking, they don't hit you through the middle. So it was a little surprising. Um, but look, uh, the one thing that we've learned about Graham Potter is that he's not afraid to, to tweak. Um, and it was an, just interesting to see uh, Ben White play in front of the back four. I actually thought that he had probably his best game for us. So as far as how he set us up, um, that was probably the one slight surprise, um, perhaps motivated by a desire to um, you know, strengthen um, the left side of the defence because you know, it allowed Solly to play a little further forward um, you know, and perhaps relieving him of some of his defensive responsibilities. And, and, and that's not his natural, natural um, position, right? Yeah. I think he's 100%. much more of an attacking left-sided player rather than a wing-back. So, yeah, I think so too. Interesting. And I thought, you know, for the most part, it worked. Yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised too. Same for the Ben White thing. Uh, same as you. Like, I felt like if we were going to be fighting a mid -mid midfield battle, it was going to be out wide, not in the middle. So I was surprised to see him bulk up. But... I, I think you're spot on with the Dan Byrne bit. I mean, he ha he is kind of Mr. Dependable, whether we decide to play him at left back or as a part of that back three. And mm -hmm. although me and you know he's not exactly the greatest at set pieces when he should be much better, <laughs> Palace didn't. And I think right. that went a long way to help because it doesn't matter how much you watch him and think he's not that good in the air. I think when you're at a corner and a six or seven lads behind you, it still makes you think you're probably going to be second best. And I think that <laughs> I think that went a long way. Um, I agree 100% on Ben White too. I was really impressed today. He led the team in total tackles, led the team in interceptions. He essentially did the Dale Stevens job with incredible aplomb. Like he, he looked very solid. And yeah. I, I wonder if Potter decided to do that knowing that he wasn't going to be overrun. Like, I wonder if he did that knowing that he wasn't going to have to worry about a, a, a Havertz, a, a Zayeka, you know, yeah. like a player that's going to be causing him problems all day. I yeah. wonder if that was his logic behind it. No, I think that's true. And I think that's a, that's a great point. And it would be interesting to see whether he does that against teams, right, who clearly have the ability to to cut you open through the middle in a mm -hmm. way that Alex don't. Um, you know, you know, we've got some interesting games coming up. I think we've got Spurs in a couple of weeks as well, haven't we? Right. So, um, but they play in a slightly different way now uh, as well. But yeah, um, you know, I actually think that, I mean, Ben White, supposedly, I didn't see him a lot last season, but supposedly he excelled in that role for Leeds last year, as well as excelling in, 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 in the centre of defence. So um, I have a sneaking feeling that, um, you know, we'll see him in that role um, a, a decent amount of times over the course of the coming year. And I thought he did really well today. And as you said, you know, it wasn't as if 
you know, he was facing, um, you know, a Jack Grealish that was going to run at him or, you know, any of the, um, you know, a, a, a Bruno Fernandes or a Rashford. Um, but so, so it'll be interesting to see how well he does, you know, when truly faced with, you know, people that run at you through the middle or try and cut you open through the middle. Yeah. I thought he did really well. Agreed, 100%. Um, first kind of flashpoint of the game came kind of early, uh, 20 minutes in, um, well-ish, 18 minutes in or whatever it was. And I think we'll both agree that we were we were essentially dominating them. There was, there was very little coming from them. We were in total control. And then uh, the penalty call, um, I'm sure it doesn't come much of a surprise to you for me to think that was just utter nonsense. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And it looked like the Palace players couldn't either. What was your thought over there at 6.20 a.m. when this nonsense happened? That certainly woke me up and probably woke most of my my neighbours up as well, right? Given the fact that I generally, you know, especially for the four o'clock and six o'clock games when the Albion are playing, I generally try and, you know, keep the, the cheering and the screaming at the TV down to a minimum because it is a little early. Um, but I probably woke most of my neighbours up with 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 a few choice epithets at that time. It was it was a disgrace. I mean, you, look, none of the players appealed, right? None of them, there not a one. Minimal contact, right? And actually, I think look, you can never tell by looking at a screen the force of the contact, right? You know, he could especially have especially in slow motion, right? Absolutely. And I thought that um, you know the attacking player, you know, leaned back into the to the arm anyway. Um, so it, it, it was just utterly, utterly ridiculous, right? And then, right, you know, when you compare that against, you know, the bear hug that the um, that the character was giving Dan Byrne at the other end, yeah, right, just a few minutes before, it's like, you know, w- what are we doing here? I mean, it was just utterly ridiculous, um, and um, you know, very, very unfortunate because we were in complete control for the game. Um, and again, you know, I'm sure that you, you've had, well, I know you've had these discussions um, over the course of the season uh, about, you know, VAR. This was an interesting one because I was actually surprised that the referee saw it because nobody else did, right? Right. And he saw an arm <laughs> on the back. Okay, big deal. Um, nobody else saw it. But, you know, having awarded it, um, it, it probably was going to be 60-40 that it was upheld by VAR just because, A, they typically upheld those decisions anyway, and, B, there was contact. So, you know, what are you going to do, right? It's just really, really hard, um, you know, for VAR to adjudicate on issues that are not binary issues. Is it across the line? Is it not across the line? We all hate the offside, you know, armpit or fingernail rule, but at least, you know, there's certainty, right? And, yes, his fingernail is either offside or it's not offside. Yeah, um, tell, tell Jordan Henderson that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, so, you know, but at least there's a degree of certainty and you can accept it even though it's the rule that needs to be changed rather than the interpretation. Right, but with agreed. This, right, you can't tell the degree of force, right? You know, it's it, there, there's contact all, all of the time, all over the place. You just can't tell. Um, so it, it's just very, very unfortunate. Right. And, you know, hopefully this will be one of the areas, um, you know, where VAR will be removed from the game. Although, like I said, the referee gave it. Right. So yep. what are you going to do? But yes, it was one of those decisions that I thought was absolutely ludicrous. Like I think you. I think when it went to VAR, 
given what we'd seen with Connolly just a couple of weeks ago, I actually thought it might get overturned because yeah. I thought maybe we're turning a page a bit. And then yeah. they said that they were heading over to VAR with Kevin Friend. And I immediately knew that that wasn't going to happen. This is right. a this is a referee that I knew by name in the mid two thousands from our <laughs> early years because he had poor games in League One and Two. Like I, <laughs> this, well, this isn't a shock at all. <laughs> to think well, we, we, we Brighton seem to um, suffer with referees against Crystal Palace particularly, right? I mean, the the, the whole rivalry goes back to seventy six, where maybe before your time. Um, Ron Chalice, right, in the infamous Stamford Bridge second uh, second replay FA Cup game, right, which is where Mullery threw money at the Palace fans and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. And then the referee in that game who was, you know, we don't need to go into the detail of, you know, why disallowed penalties and, you know, awarding uh, Crystal Palace penalties um, and allowing them to retake it. Uh, he never refereed another Brighton game in his entire career, right? So, um, you know, there, there, there's certain certain games that seem to bring out um, you know, really poor referees and refereeing decisions. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just me being, maybe all football fans are exactly the same. that They think that the world is against them and the refs are against their team. But it certainly seems to be the case with Arsene Palace because that was a joke today, an absolute joke. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was very telling that there was pretty much nobody in the studio, on radios, on anything that could justify the penalty decision at all. And I think it turned the entire half on its head at that point. It became it became one that was originally kind of attack versus defence on and on and on and on mm-hmm. to this scrappy, just awful football for the rest of the half where neither team could really get anything going. Um, and then I think the second half, we kind of resumed from where we left off at the first time we were we were a lot better. I thought we commanded the ball a lot better. And right. Palace and as you said right at the beginning, unsurprising, no shock. They they played the game that we knew they were going to play. Flat banks of four, an outlet in in Zaha and Batshuayi, and that was their entire game plan. And even their subs were like for like <laughs> they okay. they just they did exactly what they intended to do. Um, yeah. But Hodgson, Hodgson is not generally known as the most creative of managers. Um, you know, he he has his framework yep. and he sticks to it and he molds players to fit into that framework. And they're incredibly disciplined and incredibly well organized, if very predictable. But the one thing that I was concerned about after that penalty, and I think we saw it, was that we dropped off a couple of notches in terms of our intensity. We kind of lost it a little bit because we were in complete control up to that point. Um, and, you know, you, you know what happens, especially in the Premier League, and it's come back to bite us before, where we've, you know, been thrown off of, of our game plan a little bit, right? You lose that, that little bit of an intensity and then you allow, you know, concentration to lapse and, and mistakes to be made, right? But we just about made it to, I mean, Palace, I thought were, you know, were, I'm not going to say they were so bad, but in terms of their creativity, I mean, they were appalling. Um, and I think that helped because had it been a team um, that played with a little bit more of creativity and intensity than Palace, um, I think that the impact of us not getting that penalty and dropping off slightly, it might have come back to bite us. But as it was, we managed to get to half time, and as you say, you know, come out in the second half and basically resume, um, you know, with the level of control and domination that that we obviously had established in the first part of the game. 
Yeah, I mean, that second half was just ridiculous. It was just wave after wave. We had 70% possession. Yeah. Uh, we cut them down to 61% pass success rate. I mean, that's insanely low. That's a, that's like a, that's similar to the like kind of percentages and stats you see when we beat Portsmouth a couple yeah. of weeks ago. We, we just played them off the park. Uh, but the biggest stat for me, and I think this is one that we've seen over and over again, and you've heard me talk about over and over again. We had 14 shots in the second half and two are on target. It's got to be better. It's, it's got to be. be. It, 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 and, and, you know, and, um, uh, and, and they had no shots, period, apart from the penalty yep. in the entire game. Yep. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the, um, you know, the Opta stats, um, but, you know, that has to be some kind of record, surely, Right. They did not have, I think I'm correct in saying, one shot. Forget shots on target, shot in the entire game, aside from the penalty. No, you're right. exactly correct. Uh, they had zero shots, and they also achieved uh, like a 0.00 XG, which is even worse. Like, they didn't even, it wasn't even that there was an opportunity for them to take a shot. Right. So to your point, right, given our domination, right, this was a game that we should have won. And I know that we've had these, you know, you've had these discussions before. And yes, ultimately, it does go to the fact that, um, you know, we had, yes, plenty of shots. Um, but, you know, when you look at, uh, I mean, I haven't seen, you know, heat maps or anything like that. But when you look at the chances that were created, right, within the box, um, you know, there were not that many and certainly not clear-cut chances that were created. And that's a major problem. Um, and, you know, and I think it, it, it's, it, it goes to, you know, I, I, the thing that comes to mind is the, um, the decision-making of some of the players, like Solly uh, Mope, for example, you know, that clear-cut chance that he had yes. in the second half. Uh, Solly had an opportunity, um, I think, um, you know, when he cushioned, I think it was Solly that cushioned the pass back across goal rather than taking a whack at it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's quite frustrating to see that the end product um, clearly doesn't match the quality of the build-up play. Um, and it's something that it, it is costing us, as we know, um, because ultimately you've got to be able to turn your territorial domination, your possession, the fact that you're controlling the game, um, the, the the style of football that you're playing, you've got to be able to convert that into real chances and then obviously goals, right? And that's a, a major area. Um, enter Danny Welbeck. Who knows? Yes. Yep. I was about to say, uh, Zakiri did not make the bench today. Not sure whether that's a, a fitness thing, a quarantine thing, perhaps even, um, or, or a mix of both. Because um, he also didn't play for the under-23s yesterday. Uh, but Welbeck has now signed. He will uh, probably have to undergo some kind of, uh, maybe some kind of quarantine as well. I think it's right. 14 days, um, but he almost definitely isn't match fit either. He hasn't, I don't think he's even had preseason training with Watford. So it might be a while until we see Danny play, even play for us. Um, but albeit, I wish we had more players that could put the ball in the back of the net. We, we are once again, uh, indebted to something we did not see in the Hutton age, um, some very astute substitutions winning oh. us points. 
Uh, Alexis McAllister, who has seems to be an even di- a different player from the one we saw last year. He seems to have came on in leaps and bounds. Uh, came on on the 77th minute for Trossard, who uh, I thought was pretty anonymous today. Uh, and yeah. Connolly also came on, and then Pascal Gross shortly afterwards for Bern and Lallana. Uh, so the, the stall was clearly set out that we were <laughs> desperately trying to get a point. Um, in terms of the goal itself, it felt like it was kind of the fifth least obvious chance we had all game. We could have scored with loads before it. Um, But I think it's more than deserved, right? We, we deserve more than that. If not all of it, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, the, um, you do the scoreline generally, right. And certainly over the course of, of seasons, you know, generally reflects um, what you get is what you deserve. Yep. Uh, it would have been criminal, right, if we did not get something out of that game. And in fact, you know, okay, you feel slightly relieved because, you know, it, we were only, you know, three or four minutes away from from losing all three points. But, um, you know, if, if we could not, if we came away from Sahas Park with nothing today, um, there would have been no justice. Um, yes, we clearly deserved it. And even with... You know, um, you know, only a few minutes of injury time left. You know, it was really Brighton that was still, you know, going for the win. Um, it, it was almost as if, you know, we were the home team, right? Um, and uh, we were going for for the win, which I think nobody would have denied us um, that in terms of it being deserved. Um, but it was just unfortunate because, you know, and ironic actually that in going for the win, we lost Lewis Dunk and we're going to lose him for the next three games. Right, yep. assume three games if it was a straight red card. Yeah, it's got to be three games. That was an appalling challenge. <laughs> I don't know what went through his head. Um, it, was, it was almost like the Lewis Dunk of like, you know, four or five years ago where he just, you know, used to make those rash, yeah. um, you know, inexplicable challenges for no reason. Um, and But, you know, he, he probably had a rush of blood to the head. It was close to the goal. You know, he really wanted it and he just lost his head, right? But, um, yeah, very indisciplined and... And we're going to miss him. Although it's not that we don't have a, a plethora of centre backs uh, to be able to put into his place, you know. So we should be okay. Yes, we'll miss him, but um, we should be okay. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions. Actually, uh, first of all, uh, anybody else stood out as a bit of a disappointment today? Uh, for me, Trossard felt yeah. very anonymous for a lot of it, um, and. I think he could have done a lot better and Mopai as well today. I think he snatched at chances. Um, yeah. Was there anybody else that stood out there as something you, know, you just I, thought? I, I, I'm, yet, I'm yet to be convinced that we have, um, uh, well, we haven't. We haven't got the best out of Lalana. I'm not sure um, what is his best position. And I'm not sure that he knows specifically, um, you know, what his role is, you know, whether it's, um, you know, coming in from either side, whether it's uh, being an impact player more in the middle. I thought that, you know, he, he it looked like that they'd switched him into a more central position um, in the second half, um, you know, where he was a little more um, forward uh, and a little more able to impact the play. Um, so I think it's probably too strong to say that, you know, I was disappointed with Lalana. Um, because he, you know, he's a very thoughtful player. He takes up great positions, but we've certainly yet to see the best of Lalana. 
Definitely. Um, you know, as it relates to others, uh, I thought, um, yeah, I hope Basuma had a great game, as always. I mean, he, he's, he's turning into an absolutely key player for the team, right, in terms of the role that he plays in that number eight position. Um, and, uh, but no, Trossard for sure. Uh, was was a disappointment, and I agree with you. You know, I think um, you know, as a striker, um, when you are presented with opportunities, you have to be opportunistic and take them. Right? I thought Mope was lacking in that department today. Right? You know, sometimes he takes, he wants to take, you know, several more touches than are required, rather than do the instinctive striker thing. Um, which is, you know, which is what all the top strikers do and which is what Alexis McAllister did, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, you just went for it. The ball was there. It was there to be hit. You hit it towards goal and things happen. Um, yeah. So um, I thought Mope was a little lacking in that department as well today. Do you know what also frustrates me no end about this lack of shooting uh, when we're when we're clearly, yeah. you know, in a good spot is the amount of handballs that are being given. Why not do it for that alone? Yep. Like, why not? Like, until they actually show that they're not going to be given these as liberally and as stupidly, just yep. shoot. Why not? Yep. Like, we've got no... Absolutely, right? Um, I've seen Lamptey do that, actually. I don't know whether he did it today or not, but I've seen him do that. You know, he gets into the positions where he will shoot on goal. And as you've said, right, um, you know, how many times, and we've, uh, you know, we've obviously suffered um, from this as much as anybody else. How many times do you see... Penalties given, particularly late in the game, um, you know, for um, for handballs, you know, which wouldn't necessarily have been given several years ago, um, but they are now. You know, basically now the ball has to hit. If the ball hits the hand, you've got more than an even chance of it being called for a penalty. So I don't know, but I, I, look, that I think we're agreed is is the one area of major frustration that we have um, that I think will hold us back, and it is holding us back. Because based upon the quality of our play, um, you know, we should have two or three more points, right, than we actually do have right now. But what's holding us back is our inability, right, to be decisive and incisive, um, in, particularly in and around the box. Um, and um, uh, again, I, and I love Mope. I think that he's a, he's a lightning rod. Um, but I actually think that... Um, I actually think that, well, we, we know, we do need um, uh, another striker that's a little bit more of an impact player. Mopace strikes me more as a kind of um, nuisance, a poacher, somebody that will, you know, hustle and harry. Um, but he's not going to be the kind of person that you can rely on for 15, 20 goals a season. Uh, and that's what I think that you need if you're going to, you know, uh, aspire to be, you know, a top 10, top 11 uh, team in this division. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully he'll prove me wrong. Right. But, you know, all of the top teams, right, have a player or players uh, that will get you close to 20 goals a season. And I don't know that we have that. Agreed. Um, I mean, that game today was the first one, obviously, after the international break and the first one in a in a string of games um, that you hope we're going to be able to get some more points from yeah. West Bromwich Albion next week and on Monday. Uh, Tottenham away the following week and then Burnley before the international break. They'll be the three that Lewis don't yep. miss. Um, in terms of West Brom next week, would you go as far as to say it's a six-pointer already? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little too early, right? <laughs> These are the games at home that you target 
as ones that you should be winning. Um, you know, when you look at those three games, you know, Spurs is basically a free hit, right? Yep. Um, Especially this year. You don't know, right? You don't know whether it will be the ones that hammered Manchester United or right. it will be the ones that let three goals in in 10 right. minutes. Right. But, the one, <laughs> but, what you, but what you can be sure of is that they'll, they'll score goals, okay? Yeah. I mean, their, their forward line is frightening, right? Especially, you know, with, with, with Bale. And, and Son and Kane, right, for me, are the, uh, are the two hottest uh, strikers in the Premier League right now. So that's a free hit. Um, you've got to look at West Brom and Burnley um, having, you, you've got to target four points out of six from those games. Um, you know, and obviously the one at home is the one that you'd fancy. Burnley away is always tough, although, you know, last game of last season. Oh, we have, we have Burnley at home as well. Both of oh, them. Burnley at home. It's Burnley at yeah, home. It's, it's, okay. tot, it's Tottenham away in the middle. All so right, it's, right. it's Brighton at home to West Brom and Burnley, and then Spurs are in the middle of that with the away day. You have to at a minimum, target four out of six. Agreed. Right. Yes, you've got to be looking at beating West Brom. You've got to be looking at Burnley being a winnable game as well. You know, you you, you can't say at this stage of the season that you have to win them both. Um, but, at a, but anything less than four points out of six from those three games, right, would be a cause for concern in my view. Agreed, 100%. Um, in terms of Lewis Dunk being sent off, uh, as we get towards the the prediction piece, where I want you to give me your thoughts on the West Brom game, um, yep. where do you where do you see us going defensively without Lewis for three day three days three games? Um, because that's a it's a big loss, yeah. captain, centre half, leader. Yeah, right? you know he's he's the guy. Um, you know, in all probability, um, uh, he clearly likes to play the three or the five, right, at, at the back. So, um, you know, I don't think we've played four at the back in any game this season, have we? I don't right? think so. I think it's always been a three and or a five. Um, so, you know, I, I would find it hard to believe that he'll change, given the fact that that's clearly his preferred formation. So, you know, you've got options, haven't you, right? You Could you play white, um, uh, Webster, Byrne um, as the three central defenders. You could play Bernardo um, at left back um, and then, you know, Lamptey at right back. Um, I think Veltman also plays in the middle, does he not? I think that, that yep. he, he has played there. So you've got options. now. He, I don't played, know. Uh, he played the vast majority of his games for Ajax at, at centre-half. Right. I, I think he only played two or three at right back last right. week last year. So he's got options. And, you know, I think this might be the one, one of the games with Potter, given the fact that, you know, you don't have your linchpin right in the center of defense. This might be one of the games where, you know, you could do a sweepstake, you know, who's it going to be? It could be, <laughs> uh, if it's a three, um, you say, I don't know. I've not, um, uh, I've not seen Veltman at, at center back. Um, Neither have I. I've seen as much of him as you have. I, yeah. Okay. So um, it, it will either be, my, my guess would be that it would be um, Burn on the left side of centre, um, Webster and uh, White, um, and then with Lamptey and, and possibly Solly, right? Um, you know, playing left wing back. Um, but it depends. You know, I think, I think you've got to be bold. I think you've got to be aggressive. Um, which, uh, so I think you've got to have Solly um, as uh, as either the left wing back or in the position that he was in. 
But yeah, it'll be an interesting one. But you know, the wild card would be if he puts Vel straight in the centre of defence. That would be interesting. Yeah, it would be. And it seems that Veltman, for one thing, is certainly not afraid to get stuck in. And West Brom are pretty much that the epitome of getting stuck in. Um, in fact, Burnley are as well, right? So yeah. <laughs> he's got two games that I'm sure he can yeah. come in and get his feet well and yeah. truly in the water. So No, you're right. They're going to be two similar types of games, aren't they? You know, yep. both sides are going to be scrapping. Both sides... Um, are very physical. Both sides have managers that like to impose their the, the physical side of the game on the opponents. Uh, very unlike, um, you know, Spurs. Spurs will be a completely different type of game. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you're just going to have to be up for it, right? I think that, you know, these are the games. Burnley and West Brom are going to be the games where, um, you know, your mentality level, right? You, you've got to be totally up for it. You can't just go out there assume that you're going to be able to play your, you know, very easy on the eye type of football um, and eventually create chances Um, because, you know, West Brom and Burnley, they're going to harry you. They're going to hustle you. They're going to foul you um, and you've got to be up for it. So, um, you know, that, that, that for me will be the key in in, in both of those games. Both of those games are games that we should win. um, But, um, you know, they're banana skin games, right? If, If you're not up for it and if you're not, you know, physically motivated to to get into those challenges and to win those second balls first, um, you know, then they can kill you. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, but, you know, to your point about it being a six-pointer earlier, no, I don't think it's a six-pointer, but uh, I think we'll know a lot about this Brighton team um, after the next three games. You know, we'll have a very, very good idea as to whether or not we are going to be you know, perennial bottom five, bottom sixes, right? Um, yep. Or or whether or not we're more likely to be looking up rather than behind our shoulders. Agreed. Right. I think I think I think you're exactly right. I think it's one of those things of are we going to be the team that comfortably beats teams uh, of Newcastle and outplays teams like Palace and beats West Brom and Burnley? Or are we going to be teams that are wasteful against these opponents and let points go? And that's exactly where you're coming from, right? Like if we're if we're the latter, then we're we're in that bottom five six again. If yep. we if we come away from Brighton, uh, Burnley, and West Brom with six points, then you can turn around and go, okay, yep. I, I I can see another ten plus games this season that we're going to comfortably win. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, then we'll have ten points, you know, after. Um, seven games, that's okay, right? You know, that's having played at that point, Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United, um, and, um, you know, who else did we play? Everton. And and Everton, that's right. So, you know, if you've got 10 points out of seven games, having played four of of those teams, um, then I think that you can breathe a little bit and start to look up rather than over your shoulders, as I said earlier on. Interestingly enough, right, so we'll go to Tottenham in two weeks' time. Yep, first of November. Um, and you know they will not have yet won a home Premier League game. In fact, they haven't won a home Premier League game. Right? They lost at home to Everton. They lost, they conceded in the last minute against Newcastle, and they conceded in the last minute today. Yeah. Right. So you know, um, I wouldn't write off that game. Um, you know, they, they still have their vulnerabilities clearly. Um, and they've not yet won at home. So I think that, you know, and possibly with Palace again today. I, you, I I haven't seen the stats, but in all probability, I would suspect 
that there's a significantly less win percentage of teams playing at home this year uh, relative to previous years. And that has to be uh, as it is with the Albion, right? Yep. We haven't won at home either. So, um, and I think that the fans have a, have a lot to do with that or the absence of the fans have a lot to do with that. Yeah, it's funny you say that too because I'm looking at their fixtures now and uh, they'd better get, for their for their morale and their sake before it gets psychological, they'd better come and get something against us at their place because after that, they have Manchester City, uh, Arsenal, um, Leicester, and then and then we're almost in the new year. Then we're at the 28th of December. So we could be coming into 2021 with Spurs with no wins at home. Right. <laughs> because How those funny. three after that are not very nice. How funny would that be? So, but yeah, look, no, I mean, look, we we, we did really well against them last year on Boxing Day. Yeah. Right. It was a game that I actually saw. Um, and we were in the lead. So, um, yeah, yes, they're a different proposition this year, clearly, right? Certainly offensively. Um, but, um, you know, defensively, they're clearly, you know, and it's really unusual for a Jose Marino team, right? They haven't kept a clean sheet in, you know, goodness knows how long. Yeah. So, you know, they're there for the, I'm not going to say they're there for the taking, but we could get something out of that game. But bottom line, we've got to have four points out of six in, in the next three games, given, given the opponents. Agreed. Um, thank you for coming on. I think it's been a wonderful chat. Uh, and last thing from you, prediction for West Brom and Jarby next week. Okay. Um, I think we're going it, to, it's, it's all going to click. Okay. So I'm going to go Brighton four, West Brom one. Oof, that would be lovely indeed. Right. I'll take it's that. all going to click. You know, we're just missing that little piece, right? That little extra piece of intensity of, decisiveness of incision in front of the goal. It's all going to click. Uh, do you know what? Like, I think if there is a game to be that positive about, I think it is this one. I think you're right. Like it's, we've been saying it for a while. In fact, I feel like we said it all year last year. <laughs> like we're just waiting for the final click, but I think we're, we're closer to it than we have been all year last year. And I, I think that's not a bad shout. I, I agree. Would... And, and, and they were our first win in the Premier League three years yes, ago. Yes, they were. Pascal Gross, back post. Yep. Absolutely. So why not? All the omens are there. Yep, fingers crossed. And uh, it's the Battle of the Albions as well. That so. is true. There's only one Albion. Yep, no matter how much they proclaim they were there first, <laughs> uh, they still can't beat us. So, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Ingram. Um, and we will definitely have you on again. Uh, it's oh. been a wonderful chat. So have a good rest of your day. Um, and uh, we'll we'll kind of chat again, I'm sure. You take care now. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. You too, mate. Bye. Bye.